Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 15 in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 15. And we are working through a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. And this has been a wonderful series as we, as we have worked verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Matthew. And this is sermon number 63 in our Bibles, believe it or not, 63. And uh, we are about halfway through the book, uh, but it has been a wonderful joy. We are looking for God's word. We're looking for his views. We're trying to figure out his opinions on life and family and society. I want to know what he says. I want to know what he believes. And I want to align myself with him. And so that is why we look to God's word each and every Sunday. We open his word and we study it together. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is What Can Wash Away My Sins? Amen. What can wash away my sins? We're going to find out the Pharisees think it's something else, that you can actually wash it away in another way. But we're going to figure out what the true way to wash away sin, what it looks like, and how it applies to us. You know, here in our text before us, we will see the religious, the scribes show up, and they are so focused on the traditions of religion in which they have actually made up. They're their own rules that they have made up in their group, and they literally make up these rules, and then these rules have been passed on from generation to generation, and they magically, secretly become almost laws of God, even though they made them up centuries ago. And they will demand others to obey these rules, these man-made rules, which God never said in his word. And what we have happening is really a man-made religion sitting right in front of us, and these men demanding that others live out this religion, completely missing the real relationship with God. And I want to tell you today, maybe you've heard this phrase before, but here at Legacy and true Christianity really is not a religion of rules and regulations. It's not. It is more about relationship and communing with God than specific rules and details and regulation. And I know the majority of the world thinks, if you tell the majority of the people in the world, I'm a Christian, if you go to other parts of the world, you say, I'm a Christian, majority of people think that you are Roman Catholic. If you say you're Christian, they believe Jesus was Roman Catholic. He was a Jew. He was Jewish. And this is a problem because when people think of Roman Catholicism, most of the time they don't think of some warm environment like a warm fireplace. They think of, or, or, or a sweet relationship with somebody so much so, they've loved you so much, they've so much humility and graciousness, they've laid down their lives for you. No, they, they think the opposite. They think of a giant church building that looks super holy. They think of robes and smoke and icons and stained glass windows and a crucifix that creates the demeanor of holiness or almost a reverenced place. But most people who go in have a moment of reverence before God and then they walk out and keep on hating their neighbor. We see it in the mafia movies all the time, right? You go and kill somebody, then he goes, runs to the church and confesses, then goes right back off the church and kills another dude. You know, it makes sense. That's a bit extreme, I know. But those of you who grew up in the church know that there are some very sincere people who love God in there, but there are many who just go to pay their dues and then on their way. And that's sad. 
Because the Pharisees, there was also a sect within the Jewish religion that were doing the same thing. They had the robes, they had the garbs, they had all of the things that look holy. But Jesus would say on the inside, they don't even know me. And as he says this to these guys, I know the crowd is looking at him thinking like, what are you talking about? They're the most holy ones in society. Jesus challenges them, and I love this text. We are in Matthew chapter 15. We're going to work through verses 1 through 20 today in our text. Let's read a few verses together. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we're reading. His word can change us forever. His word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it cuts into the heart. It cuts into the soul. It cuts into the spirit. And it actually discerns our thoughts, the Bible says of itself. I haven't read your mail this week. Don't worry. I don't know what's going on, but God does. And he may just speak to you today if you'd open your heart and hear with spiritual ears. Let's read the text today. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Are you there? It says, Then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. <laughs> and he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of his father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever you might benefit from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. After Jesus called the crowd to them, he said, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles a man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? And he said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And, oh God, oh Father, we ask that you would show it to us, reveal it to us, help us to know and understand you, help us to truly desire you with our whole hearts. Oh God, would you do a work today in us? Wash away our sins, cleanse us, make us whole, make us more like you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Remember last week we saw Jesus walk on the water, remember? And Peter cried out, Lord, if it's you, Lord, is it you? Lord, is it you in the storm, in the darkness? Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And Peter walked on the water with Jesus. But as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord and put it on the wind and the waves, he started to sink, remember? But after they got back on the shore, Jesus healed everyone who came to him. And many were just hoping they could touch the hem of his garment. Jesus has displayed his godship in the last chapter of Matthew 14, his deity, his authority, his power by walking on the water, by feeding the 5, 10, 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He has healed hundreds of people in two different settings. And after all that, showing he is the Son of God and his teachings are true through miracles, the Pharisees travel from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee and they ask him this great question. The Pharisees and scribes travel all the way from the holy place of Jerusalem to come find Jesus up at the Sea of Galilee to ask him this great question. Are you ready? Verse 1. Then some of the Pharisee scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? Jesus is like, excuse me? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus pulled back his hand and slapped them. 
You idiots. Can you believe this? This is what the Pharisees want to ask Jesus. Of all the questions they could have asked, they are concerned about the tradition of hand washing. It shows how blind and close-minded they are. Pharisees, scribes, you don't want to ask about the walking on the water thing, the healings, the teachings of the kingdom, this unknown sphere and realm, the multiplying of the food for the people. They want to talk about hand washing. Anybody been to Israel? Oh, few. Monty went with me. Few. We got to go together. You guys want to go? Okay. We will, uh, we will plan a trip. Let's just try to plan a trip. It'll take you a little bit to save up the cash, maybe a year to a year and a half away. I've been talking with another pastor about it already. But um, it will cost you be between three to 3000 to like $4,000 per person for this specific trip. Let me tell you why. It, it's a 10-day trip. And uh, we stay in the nicest hotels, and we eat the nicest food. So it's a trip that you can remember. We're not staying in hostels, okay? So uh, we're not, yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to make it a trip that you'll always remember, not like, I couldn't sleep, and the, few, the food was trash, you know? We don't want that. We want you to have an enjoyable experience. Monty, wasn't it great? Huh? It was awesome, huh? It was super good. And uh, we'll get a bus, and uh, everybody will be on the same bus, and we'll have a blast together, okay? So you just start saving just your piggy bank just a little bit each month away and we'll start planning the trip what do you say yeah it's a it's a wonderful time but when we go what you'll see is we will go to the western wall or what many of you know is the wailing wall and when you walk up to the wall this is um this is on the western side of the temple mount so that wall actually uh is, is under the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is up here and it's a flat platform where this Ptolemy's Temple used to sit and the city of David is just here to the right. And uh, the steps where Jesus and his disciples used to walk into the temple are right there. And so on the, the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, the Jews will go up. It's the closest they can get to the Temple Mount or the place where Solomon's Temple used to be. And they will go there and you'll see them bobbing and praying. Well, right before they go up to pray, they walk up to the hand-washing station. You'll see them there and they do this. They basically turn on the water and they take this little bucket and they do this. Boom. They've washed their hands. Now they are clean and they can walk into the holy place. I'm not here to mock um, or put down that. I get it. And um, there's tradition there. They've been raised in that there. But the bigger point that's being made is what does it do if we wash our hands if our heart is filthy? What does it matter? It's like washing your hands without using soap. I mean, sure, we've done something, but we haven't really accomplished what we ultimately intended to do, right? If you dip your hands into sewage and you walk over and just rinse them off with the hose real quick and run away, you think you're okay? You should probably use a little soap, right? People die from not using soap or charcoal in other uh, places of the world because they just don't know. They dip their hands in water after using the restroom or whatever it may be, and their hands are not clean. Jesus but takes it 10 times further because this, they are saying, is a spiritual issue. He walks up, we've traveled from Jerusalem. We have a question for you. Yes, how can I help you? What is this? Your disciples don't wash before they eat bread. They want to talk about hand washing. I've seen this before. It's amazing how people can miss the obvious love of God and truth standing in front of them. He just walked on water. He just fed 5,000. He just healed hundreds of people. And they want to talk about this little detail. Because they're so stuck on small details and rule breaking. I call these sin sniffers. <laughs> he didn't wash long enough. He, he only did three and a half seconds. You got to do five. I counted. I had a timer. I was right there. I saw it. It's five seconds, the law says. You only did three and a half. Sorry, bud. You're not getting to heaven. I know you did all those miracles, but why don't your disciples wash their hands like the other religious leaders? R. Kent Hughes puts it this way. This is an issue of ritual purity to them. He knows that 
Before they reclined to eat, they first washed themselves and everything else, the cups and the pots and the copper vessels and even their dining clothes. They washed the seating. He also knows that their rules and regulations concerning ceremonial cleanliness don't come from Scripture. This is not in the Scriptures. According to the written law in Exodus 30 and Leviticus 22, only Aaron and his sons, the high priest, and their offspring, the priests, in or before their temple service are to make themselves clean. Not everybody before every meal. Jesus also knows that their rules and regulations come from oral tradition, not written. The oral tradition of the elders that prescribe the precise way to wash, when to wash, how often to wash, with what to wash, and why if you don't wash when and where and with what you are terribly offensive to God for. They broke down the details. When the text never even says it. Isn't that crazy? It's bizarre. But we do it to this day. Jesus, you should know, is not against tradition. He's just against those traditions that aren't found in the scriptures. It's the man-made rules that God doesn't command that are the problem. This is legalism. It is the term legalism. It's when you make up rules for your own life that aren't found in the Bible, maybe to help you keep from sin, which there's no problem in doing so if that rule is helpful for you. The problem is when we push those rules on other people, which God has never said, and look down on them because they don't keep our rules. I read the Bible every single day for two hours a day. Aren't I holy? Oh, you only read 10 minutes once a week? Oh, I'm sorry. Only if you could be like me. You see, I don't see anywhere in the Word of God in which it prescribes that you read a certain amount of time. But I do see it encouraging us to take in the Word of God daily, not as a religious act to mark a brownie point or check a box, but to draw close to God. Do you know that if you read 365 days a year to check a box, you miss the whole point? The whole point was not the box checking. The whole point was to grow close to God. What if you have perfect attendance in church all year, but your heart doesn't grow? You don't get closer to God in the process. What have you done? You've just gone to church, that's all. The worst thing that could ever happen to me or you is that we know the Bible, but we don't know God. There are professors who know this. There are atheist professors who have read through the Bible and don't give a rip about the God of the Bible. It's not enough just to do acts. We need to have a heart that desires to grow in the Lord. So when you open the Word of God, you know what you should do for your devotional in the morning? Lord, speak to me. Minister to me about what's going on in my life. I need you. Do you have a word for me? I'm ready. You want a word from God? Go to his word. It's sitting there waiting for you. We are not to set up rules and regulations for our own life and then look down on other people for not keeping those that aren't found in the word of God. This is dangerous. This is legalism. This is self-righteousness because then you think you're better than everybody else. And the truth is we're, we're all the same. We all need God the same. We've all sinned against him the same. We were all going to hell the same. Not me. I was a little less going to hell. No. You, we were all going together. And Jesus came down and died for us the same. We all need him. That's what these Pharisees and scribes were doing. They were so caught up in their man-made religion, they missed the miracles. So caught up, they missed the miracle. So Jesus challenged them at their own game. Take a look at verse three. He says, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus is saying, how do you break God's commands to keep your own? 
How do you even do this? Are you God? Is your law greater than his? You want to talk law? Let's talk law, Jesus says. They forgot. They didn't know. He wrote the law. He's the author of it. You want to talk 613 commands? I know them by heart. I actually wrote them. I made them up with my father. Verse 4, for God said, honor your mother. He says, here we go, let's talk law. For God says, honor your father and mother. He goes to the Ten Commandments. And he who speaks evil of his father or mother is to be put to death. Old Testament law. Huh? Jesus quotes the law of God first, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Then he quotes Exodus 21, 17. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. This is the one who willfully knows what they're doing and just continues to tear down their parents for year after year after year with no regard to love or serve them or help them, just wants to destroy their lives. The Old Testament law, Moses would say, this is worthy of death. No one's to be acting this way. Man, different time we live in, huh? Parent looks at their child funny. You know, they're like, you know, somebody, they abused how things have changed. And our society reflects it. We got a bunch of young people out of control. Don't respect anybody older than them. So sad. But legacy, we can redeem that. Not by taking by force, but by taking in love. You honor people. You respect them. You lift them up. You encourage them. But Jesus brings up honoring father and mother Look at verse 5. He says, God says that about honoring father and mother, but you say, you Pharisees, you scribes say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever you might benefit from me is given to God, and he need not honor his father. By this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. So Jesus points out an inconsistency Jesus is calling out the scribes and Pharisees, showing they set aside the Ten Commandments to honor their own man-centered tradition of Corbin. Corbin. Some of you who grew up Jewish know what this is. Arkent Hughes breaks it down this way. Let me explain this tradition so you feel the sting of Jesus' hit. Corbin was the practice of pledging money to the temple to be paid upon one's death. That sounds fine, right? It's like willing some resources to the church or charity when you die. I want this amount of my money to go to the church or to the temple or to charity, putting that in your will. Well, here's where the religious foolery and trickery comes in. These funds, since they were set aside for religious purposes, could not be used or given to one's parents even in their biggest hour of need. So here is what happened in Jesus' day. If you want to get out of helping your parents in their old age, you could simply declare your goods given to God. The sanctified selfishness would be excusable. Sorry, mom and dad, I'd love to help you out, but you know, all this money I have is Corbin. I can, I can use it for myself, but whatever is left over is going to God. You understand. Oh, Jesus understood to him, Corbin broke the law of love. It broke not just the fifth commandment, it broke both tables of the law, the love of God and the love of neighbor. To him, Corbin killed compassion. Only someone spiritually blind wouldn't see this. Only someone very spiritually blind wouldn't, would, would practice this and teach others to practice it. Your parents are in dire need. They need a place to stay. They need help with their health. They need help with, I don't know, food, who knows what. Oh, I'm sorry, I already gave that money to God. You guys think we're gonna be good though, right? Don't worry, God's gonna take care of you. It's terrible. And the Pharisees sit there and act like it's, it's cool. The Pharisees sit there and act like, oh yeah, th th this is great. We're actually gonna teach everybody to do this so that we get more cash. That's what Jesus is bothered by. He's like, you dudes are teaching this. Now listen, it is between you and the Lord on how God is calling you to take care of your family, take care of your parents. 
Oftentimes, I feel the ones in the crowd feeling the most guilty are those who have probably tried to help their family but don't feel like they've done enough. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord on it. Let him lead you in those things. But what we are not to do is be saying, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't love you because I got to honor God with this when someone is clearly in need like your father and your mother who took care of your every need growing up especially. You don't know that until, I mean, honestly, I, I cannot believe how much my parents did for me from the age zero to five. <laughs> I mean, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of moments. I mean, with my little Eden, she's only four, but it is like day and night. I mean, boom, boom, nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And especially with mom, I mean, in the morning when they both wake up, it's like I could even go and try to help, and they're like, we want mommy, we want mommy. Daddy's here. <laughs> mommy, 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 you know. Jesus is simply pointing out the inconsistency. Aren't we to love God by loving our family and our parents, especially honor your father and mother? But then uh, you've got this law over here that basically doesn't honor your parents at all. How'd you build that rule? So the Lord calls them out. He says, you want to talk man tradition, rules from your own heart you place on people which break the law of God? And come over here and call out my disciples for not washing their hands. Let's talk. Jesus is not happy. The Pharisees missed the forest for a couple of small trees. Really a couple of twigs over there in the forest. They're not even trees. They're not even in the word of God. They missed the beauty of the roses for a couple miscut branches. They, and they, they're the ones who cut the branches wrong. They don't even know it. Jesus is saying you are blind and you don't even know it. A spiritually blind or unaware person will say something like, man, I'm humble. I'm probably the most humble person you've ever met. Did you know that? You know, it's funny, but you know, if that, if that ever happens, you're just looking at him like, okay, uh, yes, you are. See ya. This person calling everyone out on their sins when they have a massive sin problem in their own life, this is the person who is making fun of the person who has a little cream cheese on their face from their bagel. Then the person saying it, making fun, has mustard, ketchup, and barbecue sauce all over their face. I mean, top of the forehead. And they can't see it. But everybody else can. But they're walking around like, I see that little bit right there. You don't want to be this person. You know what's crazy? You don't want to be this person, but the spiritually blind can't see that they're that person. They don't even know they're that person. They don't know. They're oblivious. I am telling you, I was and am that person. Me. I'll never forget when I lived in Israel with my buddy Christian. He's from Canada. He's a great brother. And we had read a book called Humility. And in the book it says, you know, something like, you know, ask one of your friends to tell you all the things that you are uh, not, not doing well in, that you could work on and grow in. And so I got all fired up. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to grow spiritually, baby. Let's go. So I write him an email. I just lived with him for four months in the Middle East. We went to Israel. We lived in Israel. We went to Jordan. We went to in Egypt. And I mean, it was crazy. But he had watched me closely. I mean, day and night, we were together. Christian, send me over some stuff. He, starts, he sent me an email. You know, Josh, I love you, brother. Very thankful for you. But you are this. And you are this, and you are this, and you are this. And I'm looking at him like, that's not me. That's not me. Who, I mean, I don't even know who he lived with, but that is definitely not me. It's right here on my forehead. You don't want to be this person, and here are the ways to do it. Two ways. Number one, always look in the mirror first before calling out others. How do you do this? Number one, first way is you go to the Lord and ask him. 
You go to him first, the great mirror. He will show you. Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God. Know my heart, test me, know my concerns, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, any offense in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. We go in declaring there is something wrong. Father, there's something wrong with me. Please show me. Show me where I'm, I'm inconsistent, where I'm failing. Show me, Lord. You know, the most beautiful thing is when you see men or women who have been walking with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years, and oftentimes when I talk with them, I mean, I look at them in their life, I mean, they, they're, they're, the humility, their character, their integrity, the way they love their spouse, the way they love their kids, there's just something way different than all the 20-somethings I hang out with. They're just different. They, they, they're seasoned. They've gone through life. They, and, you know, when you're young, well, you know, we know everything. You know, we got it all figured out. We're going to conquer. We're going to crush it. By the end of, the li end of life, you know, they, they've changed. And there's a maturity there. And they even say things like, I don't got it figured out. I'm still working on trying to figure out. I'm still working on trying to figure this out. And I'm looking at them like, what do you mean? You have like, you got five decades on me. You know, you, you know. Still figuring it out. Humility. The second thing I'd encourage you to do is go to a close friend and ask where you fail. Your spouse, someone you respect, a close friend. You can ask in gentleness. You know, I'm, I'm not looking to get smashed over the head here with a sledgehammer. I'm just trying to figure out where, where my inconsistencies are. I really, I really want to clean this up. And I know I can't see it myself. I need a mirror. Uh, I don't encourage you after uh, this study to go beeline to that person and pray about it. Think about it. And hopefully you have somebody as gentle and as blessing as Christian was, my Canadian brother, to be so kind and, and to share with me those things. You see, you can't look in the mirror if you're blind. You need someone else who can see your face to tell you what's going on. And it's hard to receive, but it's a blessing. It keeps us humble and close to the Lord. A friend will help you clean off the barbecue and mustard. They won't do it with a fire hose, but with a tissue. They will come in clean. Because they love you. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 28, 23, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. People want the truth. They just want it presented in love. If you present the truth in love, people receive way different. If you come in hot, they're not going to receive it. Jesus goes after these guys, though, because they're the ones with the sledgehammer hammering everybody, the disciples included, for not washing their hands. Jesus is like, you want to play hardball? Let's go. Look at verse 7. You hypocrites, he says to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy you guys. You're just saying this right to their face. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 29, 13. He is saying these people, these are people who give lip service to God and to others but their hearts are actually far from God. They worship in vain. It's being fake. It's being two-faced. Saying we love God, but then we don't love people. That's the biggest contradiction on the planet. If you love God who is love, you will naturally love people. All of his commands that he has commanded are all for one purpose, to love people. The whole Bible is about loving people. Saying we love God, but then don't love people. More interested in keeping rules than loving people. If you want to know if you really love God, the question you need to ask yourself is, do you love people? Because God loves people. Even sinners like you and me. He loves us, huh? That's what's interesting is we love that God loves us, but we don't love that God loves the person that we don't love. You know that God might love that person just as much as he loves you, especially in the church? 
Not that person, there's no way. Yeah. God is more concerned with how you love people than whether or not you keep the man-made rules of religion. Did you know that? He wants you to keep the commands of him. Who cares about the rules of man? God commands us to love people more, period. The commandments make us holy. How? As we obey them, as we obey the commands of God, they cause us to love people more. That's the whole premise of all God's commands. Worship him alone, the first half of the Ten Commandments. Worship him alone because it causes you to love people as he loves. As you worship him alone, your eyes are on him alone, you're seeking him alone, and then you understand his love for others. And it transforms the way that you see people, and it causes you to love more people. Listen, it, it, if you are magically somehow obeying all 613 commands in the Bible of the Old Testament or the commands in the New Testament, and you go around saying that, but you don't love people, you somehow have missed the entire thing. Because that's the whole point. The Pharisees got it wrong. They were good at lip service to God and people at church, but secretly they didn't spend time with God. They didn't know him. They were far from him. Church, please don't let that be you today. Come close to the Lord in an honest way. Confess your sin to him. Call upon him for help and wisdom. Call upon him to save you from you. Don't allow spiritual blindness to set in. If the Lord is speaking to you now, open your heart to him. Let him minister to you. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Love does not negate truth, no doubt, but truth cannot be without love. They go hand in hand. And I'm telling you, we can fully disagree with somebody in the truth and still love them. Look at the common grace of God on the planet. God lets the wicked run free, doesn't he? I mean, nobody's ultimately getting away, but man, he sure lets them go for a while. They can become rich. They can enjoy great things and great meals and have an absolute blast on the planet. That's a form of love on the earth. They get to enjoy the sun, sunshine and they get to enjoy the sunset. That's a form of love for all people on the planet, even the most wicked. God absolutely has a specific love for his people, as any father or mother does for their children, a very specific love. But we are called to love, and that is to be, that is to be the characteristic that beams from our life the highest level. Read 1 Corinthians 13 if you haven't in a while. If you can do all this stuff, but you have not love, it's worthless. I don't care what you can do. If there's no love, it's just done. This is what Jesus is getting after. Yeah, you guys obey a bunch of commands that you made up for yourself, but you actually don't love anybody. It's all lip service. Look at verse 10 and 11. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand, Shema Israel. Hear. Verse 11, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Jesus says breakfast, lunch, and dinner don't defile you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. And we're going to talk about this more in just a second. Look at verses 12 to 14. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? <laughs> I love it. I hear this in LA all the time. Do you know that they were offended? Well, good. Maybe they need to be offended. Offended at truth, offended at the word of God, offended by Jesus, the nicest guy to ever walk the planet. Maybe they were offended because he said something they didn't like. But he said to his disciples, verse 13, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if the blind guide 
guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The disciples say, Lord, the Pharisees are ticked. They're going to cause problems. Jesus basically doubles down and says, every plant that my father hasn't planted will be pulled out of the garden. Every weed will be thrown out, referring to the Pharisees. Jesus says, leave them alone. God will take care of them. They are blind guides on a hike, leading blind people who can't see spiritually, who won't see spiritually. Doesn't matter what you say or how you say it, they can't hear spiritually. They are deaf and blind, and they will both fall into the pit. It's sad, really. But Jesus can see their spiritual hearts and state. They have hearts of stone and have no real desire to know God and love people. They love the position of Pharisee and scribe. They love that position. It's just a job for them. They love the honor they get from people acting, from people as they act all religious. But secretly, they're evil and sinful. Behind closed doors, when nobody is looking, they're the darkest people on the planet. Holy on the outside, but dead on the inside. This is evil beyond evil. You are deceiving people with an exterior of holiness, but secretly, you're the darkest on the planet. This is beyond dark. It reminds me of televangelists stealing old people's money on TV. They do the music and they say it a certain way and they look a certain way and they literally are working people over who are willing to watch that television show and send the little bit of money they have to that dude. Or these archbishops and priests in the Catholic Church who are really pedophiles hurting children but still acting holy every day. Really? If you're, going to be, if you're going to do that, just go and do that. Don't, don't put on an exterior of holiness, faking like you're holy, so that you can accomplish that. That's double evil. This is what these Pharisees were doing. It reminds me of men who act holy but tear down everybody around them. Women who put on the religious face but tear down every woman and gossip. But church, legacy, that is not you. We are a different people. We love God. We know we are sinners. We say, I'm sorry. We call upon the Lord God to save us. We love when nobody is looking. We love others when nobody sees. We serve in the secret place. We talk of our God and we talk to him and we beg him to help us to live for his glory. We not only know God's word, but we love it and we walk in it so we can love people better in this city. You are a different people. We are broken people filled with the strength of God. We know who we are. We are nothing without him. We are not going to put on some exterior facade here in this city. People can see through fakes so quickly. Don't do it. They can read it a mile away. Don't act. Don't do it. Don't put on a face. They will see through you, and you lose two times deep. This is one of the most street-savvy, smart cities I've ever seen. In the world. There's no, nothing like it. They can see through it. So we must just love God with all of our hearts, speak the truth, and if they don't like it, it's okay. But they know we are being genuine and honest. We are nothing without him. Look at this, verse 15 to 17. Now Peter answered and said to him, please, Lord, explain the parable to us. Jesus gave a parable. He must have. He gave a parable. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding, Peter? Oh, Peter, my boy, get over here. Verse 17, do you not understand that everything goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach, and goes to the sewer? Peter, do you understand digestion? Simple, Peter, everything you eat goes into the toilet. Sorry for the graphic picture, but flush and it's gone. Verse 18, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. A meal, placing food in your mouth is not sinful. It doesn't hurt anyone unless we're being gluttonous or we're drinking poison. But what comes out of your mouth is what can hurt and destroy a people and a nation and a church. This can be very sinful. Verse 19, 20, our final verses. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. 
Jesus goes back to the heart of the question, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? The Lord says, washing plates, wiping the table down, washing your hands, eating clean food, produces a clean environment and maybe a healthy body, but it doesn't produce a clean, healthy heart. What does it matter if your house looks clean, but you swept everything under the carpet, couch, and bed? It's still dirty. You're just fooling those who are coming over. Don't worry, I've done it. Jesus is saying the mouth is telling of where our heart really is. You can't tell where a person is at by what they wear, drive, or where they live, or how much money they make in this city. Sadly, that's the barometer in L.A. It's the litmus test for whether a person is cool or not in L.A. But in God's book, the richest king in the universe, he doesn't care about what you drive, what you wear, or who you know, or how much money you make. He owns it all, and he knows everybody. Done. He cares about your heart. In God's economy, the most successful are those who are the most humble. In God's kingdom, those with the most status are those who are the most kind, the most truthful, and the most loving. If you want to know if someone is truly good, listen to how they talk about others. Just listen. Listen to how they talk about others. Watch how they treat others. Do they put them down or lift them up? Do they use their words to be crafty and clever to cut people down or build people up? Do they love to talk about themselves or what others have done? Tear them down. Talking about themselves nonstop and the great things they have done. Are they critical of everybody but themselves? When I hear somebody tearing somebody down and going on and on about it, you know what I do? I make a note in my mind. That person will tear me down in just a couple months to somebody else. I spot them from a mile away, and I just take a note, and I say, well, I know who not to share with. You see, our, our, our mouth reveals us. For it is the window into the heart. All you got to do is look at a person's words. Yeah, but I was right. I'll never forget when I was in Israel. I was with Christian, Canadian. And we were at this Jewish lady's house. We were staying there. She was kind enough to let us stay for a little bit of rent. And she wanted us to obey Sabbath. Because she was Jewish. And she would get on her case by not being kosher and obeying the Sabbath. But she also was a Messianic Jew and believed in the Lord Jesus. And so one night I pulled out the Bible and turned to Galatians. Let's turn to Galatians. I'm 23 at this time. I pull out my sword. And I just start to go to town. Just proving my point. Proving my points. Nailing it down so that she knows she's wrong. And this is the word of God and it's right and it's the truth and you're wrong. Never forget. Christian pulled me outside afterwards. <laughs> this guy. You know what he said to me? He said, you know, Josh, even if you're right, if you're rude, you're wrong. I was like, Christian, you're right. I had to go apologize to Nancy. I made my points. I thought I won, but my mouth had deceived me. I showed no love. My heart was not in the right place. And I didn't win anybody that day. I lost. Jesus says, for out of the heart comes these things. Murder, evil thoughts, it all starts here. Murder starts in our heart. We hate somebody first. Sexual immorality and adultery, it starts in the mind first, lusting, fantasizing over another. Then we act that out. It comes out of our mouths. Theft, it starts in our heart. I want that. I'm going to take that. Gossip, it starts in the heart, talking about a person, thinking bad about others. Then we start talking about them. It comes out of the mouth, tearing them down to others. It starts in the heart, you see? Who can wash away our sins? Well, I can by washing my own hands. Oh, no, 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 no. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? 
What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Christ. Ezekiel 36, 25, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, God says, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. God says, I will do this for you. I will cleanse you. I will make you whole. The only way to deal with our own hearts is to see who we are before God. We got to go to him. We got to make things right. I want to pray and allow us to seek the Lord. Let's stop washing the hands and washing the cups and the dishes. Let's, let's let God cleanse our heart. Let's let him cleanse our minds in whatever areas you're working through. Can we do that now? Let's go before him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, Lord, please, that you would work on our hearts. Oh, God, would you pull out all the cleaning tools, Lord, all that we need. Would you do heart surgery on us? Oh, Lord, would you remind us of the great work on the cross? We sinned against you. You came down and died for our sin, all the terrible things, all the dirty things. You were treated as if, we, as if you committed what we did. And Lord, you declare that through the, your death, burial, and resurrection, through the punishment that you took, through what you have done, you can cleanse us through your blood. We thank you that you can, and we thank you that you're willing. You just asked us to come to you, and so we come to you now with all of our hearts. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Please, Lord, work on me. Please, Lord, resurrect me, raise me to life, thinking a new way, living a new way. Change my heart, O God. Create in me a new heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Please cast me not away from your spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, Lord, in this moment. Restore to me the joy of knowing you. Renew a right spirit within me. We need you. We turn to you. We yield to you. Work in us like only you can. We open our lives to you. I pray that it would cause us to love our spouse, love our friends, Love our family members to love people in this city. Love our kids better. Love our coworkers better for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.